Welcome to the Some Days Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. So glad you're here. Some Days Here is a podcast for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander leaders. In each episode, we discuss how we navigate living in both Eastern and Western worlds and how the unique blend of our experiences influences our faith, our life, and our leadership. All right, everyone, welcome back to Some Days Here, season four. Really excited to uh, introduce to you friends uh, through InterVarsity Fellowship, which is kind of similar to Crew and Navigators. Um, I have two phenomenal women who were part of this book, Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity, Relationships, and Vocation. So I'm thrilled to have on the podcast today, Sabrina Chan. She is... Um, a daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong, the National Director of Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in the USA. And along with her is La Tao, who is Hmong American, and she's on InterVarsity campus staff in Wisconsin. And she also has served as the Director of InterVarsity's Hmong Christian Collective Conference. So thrilled to have you both. Welcome to Someday Is Here. Thanks, glad to be here, Vivian. Yep. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I look forward to this conversation um, for quite a long time because I received a copy of your book. Um, it's published by University Press. And, you know, I am so impressed with this publishing house and the material, the content that has been published through IVP is just phenomenal. And of course, the cover, you know, <laughs> just knocked it out of the park again and to have a compilation of different authors and as i was reading and underlining every few pages i was just like wow there's just so much in this book um just great history and a great uh you know obviously not all representation but a really great attempt at representing a lot of different AAPI voices. And so I really appreciated the thoughtfulness that went into that. So before we dive into the content of the book, I would love listeners to learn some of your ethnic journey story. Yeah, I'm Sabrina and I am yeah, daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong. Actually, our family is from southern China um, and um, grew up in Richmond, Virginia, uh, mostly Richmond at the time. You know, this is the early 80s or so when I was growing up, and uh, it's it was a mostly white and black town, right? Capital of the Confederacy, um, for those history folks out there. Um, so there, it it was a pretty challenging place, I think, to grow up as a young Chinese American woman. There were not huge um, Asian American populations. Um, I grew up going to mostly white schools. Um, in high school, there was, um, I did get the opportunity to go to a more diverse um, high school with a larger African American population, um, which was great. And I think from some of those folks learned more of what it might look like at the time to love your own identity, um, your own ethnic and cultural background. Um, you know, watching them, right? Mm. Uh, I didn't know it for myself yet, but I was watching and learning um, from some friends. Um, yeah, and I, I would say uh, going into college, I didn't join any of the Asian organizations on campus. Um, I went to Rice University in Houston. It's a pretty small school, um, partly because I didn't want people to identify me very much as Asian. Um, I had internalized a lot of racism, had a lot of ne negative experiences growing up. Um, and it was actually partly through InterVarsity um, and through, um, 
yeah, getting to know folks of different backgrounds and the intentional conversations around race and ethnicity that we were having back then, um, that I really started to, I think, understand, you know, more of kind of what, what growing up was like for me and, and the internalized racism, but also, um, you know, the, the love God has for us, the Imago Dei in, in, um, humanity and, um, those pieces. And so then, yeah, um, after joining staff with university and, um, getting opportunities to staff Asian American fellowships and just a, a really big learning curve and launch pad, um, from, from that time. Um, now, you know, I've lived in a lot of different places in, in Texas, in the Bay area. Now, um, I live in the Bay area for nine years. Um, and we've recently moved back to be near my family, um, in Richmond, Virginia. And it's definitely, a interesting experience to move back to my hometown. Um, things, some things have changed and some things feel very familiar in terms of the racial dynamics. Um, and, uh, and I'm hopeful for future generations and, you know, seeing the way my kids engage and the things we're able to talk to them about, um, that maybe, you know, my parents weren't equipped to, or didn't have the vocabulary for there's been, I I'm, I'm really encouraged and hopeful and, also know it's it's a lot of big conversations to have with kids. So um, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a little bit of my journey. So I'm curious, are there, is there a larger Asian population now in Richmond since from when you- Yeah, it's grown like- some, you know, Asian Americans are the fastest growing racial group, right? So it's grown some, it's not, uh, I, I don't know, we don't have an H Mart. Okay, um, we, that's kind of uh, one of the that's 12, a, 12 that's marks. A, <laughs> no H Mart, no Rage 99, there's local, there's local, um, grocery stores, uh, Asian grocery stores. And we're starting to get a few more of the like higher end bubble tea places, I guess mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That, that that is one, one measure. There's a significant, um, South Asian population in Richmond mm-hmm. now, which is okay. exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Boulder and, um, at the time Denver was the big city and it felt like, you know, the, a big day trip to go to the Asian market there you know now there's an h mart there but back then it was like the only place to go and get the canned bamboo shoots or whatever you know and we would just have the whole hall and it was uh it was always something that we looked forward to because it was like all the different foods and yeah um, we had a similar experience we'd drive up to dc two hours to dc yeah exactly exactly so that is true Yep. Well, yep. La, I'd love to hear some of your journey. Tell me about your your growing up. Yeah, um, I grew up in Wisconsin, in Northeast Wisconsin, a city called Appleton. And um, my parents, they came to the U.S. as refugees from Laos sometime in like 1980-ish. Um, and they, they settled in the Midwest, like we were I think they were down in like Wheaton, Illinois for a little while. And then they, everybody moved up to Wisconsin. And um, so that's where I grew up. That's where I was born. And yeah, it was, uh, Appleton was, I mean, it was, it was a decent sized city, but it's not a big city at all. And uh, I think it wasn't a very a ethnically diverse city either. So um, there was a good uh, Hmong population in the area. Um, and in like various cities in Wisconsin. Um, so I grew up within the Hmong community. Um, my family went to church. So we went to a Hmong church and 
grew up in that context. And it was interesting growing up as among a Christian family because there, I mean, there weren't many of us compared to the rest of the Hmong population in the U.S. And I, I, I grew up feeling like not quite Hmong enough because we didn't do a lot of traditional Hmong type of like things at home mm. uh, because we became Christian. So we uh, weren't doing some of the spiritual things that uh, Hmong families were doing. And so I remember being introduced to that as a kid to like, uh, you know, meeting other Hmong kids at school and um, feeling like, oh, we don't, we don't do that at home at all. You know, so that's so, that's so foreign to me. Um, so, so that's how I felt like growing up. And then, um, you know, like Wisconsin's also like very like white as well as a lot of the communities we're in. So um, I, you know, I grew up with a lot of like white friends and was really influenced by that also. So I felt like it wasn't until, yeah, college being a part of like university, um, I went to UW-Madison and was part of an Asian American university there. So that was the first time I ever talked about any kind of identity formation, uh, cultural ethnic identity uh, within a faith context. Mm. So I, I grew up feeling like my identity was in Christ and that's all that mattered, right? Like I had that kind of thought and mentality and uh, we, you know, obviously didn't talk about that in our churches. So it was interesting. Um encountering that in college um and that was really a big part of my identity formation was um having a space to do that and under understanding that within my christian identity and also like in college i i grew really close to um the monk community at the university and most of them weren't christian and they were also talking a lot about identity as well and mm. so um, having really good conversations with them and becoming really good friends with them was really helpful for my identity formation. So that was a big part of it for me. And um, I feel like my identity, understanding who I am as a Hmong American woman, as an Asian American woman, um, has been a big part of like how I do ministry and uh, why I wanted to go into ministry and serve the Asian American community. Um, yeah. Um, and also, I think part of in college too, being around other Asian Americans, because I grew up mainly with just Hmong Americans. So um, identifying with Asian American and having that label for myself did take a while too, um, because there were moments in college where being around other Asian Americans was fun. And I was like, oh, I feel seen and I can relate to you all. And then there were moments where I was like, oh, I don't feel like we're that similar mm. uh, we have very different narratives and stories and we have different experiences and that was where I was becoming more aware of that too um, and even understanding why I didn't always feel like completely at home around other Asian Americans mm. um, so that that took a little while to figure out because um, you know the 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 university chapter that I was a part of in, in college was mainly East Asian and so we, I didn't really, I didn't really know how to talk about that because I didn't, uh, I didn't really understand what I was going through. Um, and so it took a while to figure that out. And the more I talked to the people um, who like understood that experience, um, that was a lot more helpful. And that happened like later uh, in my life, uh, like 
after college, I think when I was addressing that more clearly. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my ethnic identity journey, cultural identity journey. Um, and it's still a work in progress. Mm, so <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone, taking a quick break to kind of focus in on the topic of marriage. My husband and I have been married for 31 years, and we have the privilege of speaking at marriage conferences across the country. And marriage is challenging, and there are a lot of challenging topics to navigate. And 31 years ago, I would have really appreciated um, the kind of content that I'm about to share with you. Countdown to Marriage is an online course that's created by Legacy Family Ministries. And it's set to help couples have a meaningful and fulfilling marriage. It's uh, designed to help engage couples to connect and to lay a solid foundation before saying I do. In this six-session course, Legacy Family Ministries walks couples through practical topics such as communication styles and conflict management and sexual intimacy, shared finances, and how to navigate relationships with in-laws. Those are the topics that really are often at the root of a lot of conflict in marriage. This course is led by Byron and Carla Weathersby who have spent nearly 30 years preparing thousands of couples for marriage, including Chip and Joanna Gaines. The Countdown to Marriage course provides engaging training videos, actionable resources from each lesson, and important discussion questions to get couples talking about what matters most. So if you're engaged to be married or know someone who is, visit LegacyCountdown.com slash online and enter the code IBMedia to save 25% off the cost of the course. Again, that's LegacyCountdown.com slash online and use IV, that's I-V-E-Y, media at checkout to receive this discount. Marriage is an important relationship and the investment into these topics before you say I do will yield such benefit. So check out this great opportunity. Hey everyone, if you're looking for a new Bible study, I want to tell you about one from my friends at Women of Welcome. I love them. They are such a great organization. Um, their team has created a beautiful, simple, and free Bible study that can be done individually or with a group. Women of Welcome is a community dedicated to diving into the whole of Scripture to understand God's heart for the immigrant and refugee. The welcome of Christ was astonishing to the culture around him. He gave voice to the speechless, frustrated the powerful, and humbled the wise. As Christians, our welcome should be like his, wonderfully surprising, deeply challenging, and firmly rooted in love. And that's true as I study the scriptures and I learn about how people are made in the image of God, Imago Dei. And having that view of people changes how I interact with the people around me, especially those who come from a different background. So when you start following Women of Welcome and learning from them, you venture into a journey of understanding biblical hospitality in a fresh and authentic way. A great starting point is their Christ-like welcome study, and you can download it for free today. Spend five weeks in the Word exploring the beautiful welcome of Jesus toward His most beloved creation, human beings. 
To download your free copy of the Christlight Welcome Study, visit womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian. That's womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian for your free Bible study. Enjoy. I think so often, you know, in many, like, because AAPI can be so broad, um, mm-hmm. sometimes it comes across very East Asian and we just miss out on the beauty, mm-hmm. the texture, the um, the difference, the different flavors and textures that come with honestly having representation in all ways. So that mm-hmm. this this idea of uh, solidarity as API and having so many you know similarities, but then realizing we can really celebrate and take time to learn everyone's story and their history and um, their immigration story even all of it is so unique and so I love that um, that you describe that because uh, often my non-Asian friends just kind of lump us all together and mm-hmm. um, so and for my Hmong friends I I've what I've most observed is that there is really a beautiful not haughty but there's a pride in Hmong culture, like there's just a, a, a just a strong identity that is so beautiful uh, to see, and I, mm-hmm. I see it in um, just the the f- almost a fiercely, in my experience, like a fiercely protective, like this is my food, my people, and how we do life, and I just I I've really admired uh, the Hmong community mm-hmm. in, in many ways, so. I'm really thankful for you to share that. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear some of the coming together of the book. Like how how did the book come about? What was some of the backstory? Um, how were the different authors um, brought into the space? Yeah, um, I took this role as national director for AAM five years ago, almost exactly five years ago. And one of the first things I wanted to work on was talking to Al Shi, our editor over at IVP about um, working on the next series of Asian American books for IVP. Cause I just thought, you know, there's some, there's been great books already released. Um, but following Jesus without deciding your parents came out when I was in college. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is mostly, it, it is all East Asian authors and, mm. you know, it's been 25 years. So it's like, there's an, there's new stuff to say. There's new mm. stuff to write. Um, and I talked to Al. I was like, you know, should we work on a South Asian book, a Southeast Asian book, um, a Filipino book, like at this point, mm. like to, mm. to disaggregate a little bit even more or publishing wise, you know, because I know there's the realities and of of finances, right? Um, it, it doesn't make more sense for us to still do a coalition book. Mm. And, and he was saying, let's, I think the coalition book route is the way to go. We already have track record. And, you know, once we have done that, then hopefully that can create more space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, so I knew I was like, oh, I want to invite other folks who are writing, who have been writing and asked around, you know, from different communities, like, hey, who do you know who's been writing? And um, I had actually gotten to work with Linson. I knew Linson when he was a student and, um had gotten to work with David a little bit in California and um, law I actually knew the least, but when talking with folks about who was doing writing in the Southeast Asian community, um, her name was at the top. And so it was like, Oh, let me just 
invite these people to dream and think about it. We gathered at Greg Howe's house in Chicago and um, Kathy Kong joined us mm-hmm. and helped lead us through like, you know, what are the things we want to write about? Like what kinds of things are out there? Because at this point we were still in proposal stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't have any, we didn't have a contract until after we submitted the proposal and everything. Um, um, but yeah, it's just a, you know, it, it was four years ago, I think we figured out, right, La, that I was probably inviting folks. So it's been a long process. Um, yeah, 2018? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was 2018. Okay. Yeah, is when we gathered in November. Yeah, so, and yeah, I would say I, I, I knew that writing is hard and then I didn't know that it was going to be so hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, much more respect for authors uh, on this side of it. Um, but yeah. Lo- lo- I would love to, you know, let- give you an opportunity to share why you said yes and what the experience mm-hmm. is like for you. I, mean, I remember getting the invitation. I think I got, I think it was an email from you, Sabrina. It was exciting. And it was one of those exciting, scary things where I was thinking, I I want to do this. This is good. But am I really going to write a book? <laughs> like that was, <laughs> uh, I remember thinking that. So, um, so I think I mostly wanted to do it. I just had to maybe just figure out maybe some of my fears around like saying yes and co- wanting to commit to something. Um, but yeah, I think those what was going through my head i know even before uh one of my supervisors alice atkins who worked with sabrina like she would always talk to me about writing and talking about needing more of a southeast asian perspective Mm -hmm. um into some of the resources that we had and she would always um suggest that i do something with that and that was just you know all talk and then it became something i guess And I was like, okay, you know, this is exciting and I think we need it and I want to do it. And then, yeah, you know, it was an exciting, scary thing. Um, but I I, re- I am really glad that I said yes to the invitation and um, getting the opportunity to do it because it was definitely um, a journey. <laughs> it was a journey. I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot through it. Mm, it is. Well, I'm curious because... Um, La, you did Knowing Our Parents, one chapter on that. You did Living Our Singleness, another chapter on that, and Embracing Mm -hmm. Our Religious Diversity. Like, what I love about this book is that you're really hitting on um, the felt needs of the AAPI community. Mm -hmm. And and so did you you recommend those chapters, or did you see them and sign up and go, hey, I'd like to write about that? Um, I'm going to dive into these challenging <laughs> topics like how did that come about <laughs> yeah like we we brainstormed topics and then we sort of assigned which topics um we would write on um when we got together so that's sort of what happened um and yeah some of them i was excited to write about some of them i i i felt like it would be a lot more challenging for me mm-hmm. to write them um well so which one was uh which one did you have the hardest time writing about um, I will say the singleness one mm. was the hardest to write about singleness and dating. Um, originally, it was like singleness, dating, and marriage or something. And 
I was like, well, I'm the only single person here, so I think I have to write about singleness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, um, so I, you know, it's a, it's a topic that I, you know, I have things to say about it, but it's not a topic that I'm that excited to talk about or to mm. write about just because there's just so much content out there from so many people already. And um, it was a struggle also thinking about what would I write about that isn't already out there. Mm. Um and what is something that Asian Americans would want? Yeah. Um, and that took a long time mm. to figure out. Um, and and I think even the process of writing, like once I sort of landed on something or a direction, I wasn't really sure if I liked it. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like there's just so much I needed to cover. And mm. it was overwhelming at times. And then, you know, writing, actually, I'll be really honest, writing that during the um, like pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, like there was a point where I was like mad about it and I was thinking this is so like pointless why am I writing this mm. like, um like this topic just seems so pointless right now um but it, it came together all all up until like from when I first started to like the editing um and like adding things like it it took all of that mm-hmm. that, that was like the whole process um that it took for me to actually complete that chapter because even when we turned in our first draft like some things I didn't love and things were like missing. Um, but I added a couple things, changed a few things um, after editing and I felt a lot better about it, but that was definitely the hardest chapter to write. I'm so glad you did because I think you hit on really important, unique perspectives that are not out there mm-hmm. um, as it relates mm-hmm. to our families and expectations and culture and um, and even how dating's not in the Bible, <laughs> you know, like there's just, there's, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I really am. I think that that's going to really serve a lot of people and to really reframe mm-hmm. it because I think our Christian culture has so much emphasis on marriage and family that we um, are not uh, centering more the voices of singles. And so I'm really grateful that mm-hmm. that chapter is there and that you were the one that you know, put put your mm-hmm. pen to paper and tapped it out on your on your keyboard. So that was that's excellent. So really grateful. Did you know the first wave of Vietnamese refugees into Washington State brought thousands of people who were temporarily sheltered at a military base in California? As the U.S. was pulling out of the Vietnam War, an exodus of refugees followed. In 1975, they were invited by then-Governor Dan Evans after the California governor at the time, Jerry Brown, made a public statement that the refugees were not welcomed in California. As Washington State was figuring out its resettlement program, the refugees began to slowly rebuild their lives. Through their resilience, many started restaurants. The oldest Vietnamese restaurant in Washington State is Pho Bac. It opened in 1982, initially as a sandwich shop. But when pho was added to the menu, it took off. Pho rice noodle soup consists of a broth made with beef or chicken bones, pieces of meats, various spices in combination with toppings and sauces. Today, pho bok is still owned and operated by the same family and sells 700 bowls of pho every day. And that's this week's Did You Know? Well, Sabrina, you have been leading in different capacities, and, and in your former life, you were an engineer um, working in a predominantly male environment and all of that. So I know you have 
spent time like thinking on and living out like principles of leadership. Um, speak to some of that with what you were writing about in your chapters. You talked about resisting our racialization and then bringing bringing our leadership. And were there any mm -hmm. parts that really resonated especially for you? Like law, partway through lockdown, I was like, why did I choose to write on race? <laughs> and then I co-authored the chapter on gender with Linson. I was like, yes, why am right. I writing on race and gender? Why did I pick things that are so hard, you know, mm -hmm. or, or so personal, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, because I'm drawn to those and they're challenging topics. Mm. The leadership chapter felt a little bit easier in some ways because, well, there, there's a lot that I've taught on or, you know, done. It was more like choosing what to, what to focus on, you mm. know, I think that felt trickier um but yeah I, I think uh you know the racialization chapter ended up it, it's long um but i couldn't figure out what to cut yeah <laughs> you know yeah. it just felt like oh, i already i'd already cut stuff <laughs> there's <just laughs> other stuff that's on the cutting room floor but i was like oh, i got down to it i was like oh, i don't know what else to cut this feels needed um mm. but yeah i think i think overall i writing for me was also a way I think that God, I don't know if this was true for you, La, but it, it felt like a way that God, I think it might be, but like God was inviting me to step out in leadership more, mm -hmm. right? To sort of like, you know, walk the talk in a sense, you know, um, to put myself out there in a, in the new way. Cause it, it, it is vulnerable, right? Like, um, you know, when you're teaching in person or um, even even online, often it's with people that you can interact with or they can ask you questions afterwards. You know, when something's on the printed page, it's 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 great. It's powerful because you can the 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 book can go a lot further than you know we can. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, the person doesn't get the context, right? They don't know us. They don't. Right you know, we're just the thing on the page. So, um, so it did feel like, uh, uh, stepping out in faith, I mm -hmm. guess not to be too cliche, but it, mm -hmm. it no, I get it. Yeah, it was, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's so individual. You're working on it like, you know, 2am <laughs> before the, you know, before I can go to bed and the kids are going to get on for online school in the morning. And mm. you're like, is th does this, I think I also felt that, does this even matter? Is this even going to get published? Like, are we going to finish? Am I going to finish? I was, I was kind of the latest on the deadlines. I got to finish. We got to get this out. Oh my goodness. Um, but it, you know, I think, I think as I think, just to circle back to your question around leadership, just, um, I think the different, risks or steps of faith that God's invited me to over the last, you know, 20 years mm -hmm. is what, um, just those, those steps, like you, it, I would have never been able to write 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right. Or mm -hmm. five years ago, I don't yeah. think, right. Like La was saying is a growing process, you know, to like grow into it. Um, but I feel really grateful. It, it has really shaped me. Um, mm. my discipleship, my, you know, 
fear of being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot that has had to be, um, I, I don't know, refined, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. Hey everyone, do you have big goals for 2023? I'm actually pretty excited about this new year, and that's in part because of the Prep Dish Meal Plans. Subscribers receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. If you don't think you have time to meal prep, I used to think the same thing. But with the Prep Dish Super Fast Meal Plans, I can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. Every Friday, I receive meal prep meal plans straight into my inbox. I have the choice of either gluten-free, paleo, low-carb, and super-fast meal plans. So if you want to serve healthy, homemade meals without the stress, the founder, Allison, is offering listeners of Some Days Here a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com slash Vivian for this amazing deal. Compassion International is working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one child sponsorships. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $38 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. Letters from your child will help you keep updated on their life and development. Your sponsorship ensures this child will have hope, hope that poverty will end with him or her. But your Compassion sponsorship doesn't just provide for the needs of the child, Compassion cares for the whole family. Your sponsorship will change one child, one family, and one community. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship, children who are desperate for hope. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text IV Media, that's I V E Y Media, to 83393 or go to slash IV Media. The link will also be in the show notes. That's slash IV Media. It's a very different thing. I've heard it said that when you speak, most people forget about what you said within 24 hours and certainly by the next week, they have no idea, you know, and I would say that's probably true of all the input that we get. It's like, a lot of things don't stick. But when it's in book form, people can underline, they can quote it, they can Mm -hmm. fact check it, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of permanence that comes with writing. And yet the writing is really, if I think about it, like how significant it was to have a book like, you know, following Jesus without, without disarming your parents. It's like, that was a needed book at the time or more than serving tea or anything that spoke to help give language to my experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's a reference. It's a reference point for people to turn back to. And um, I think that you were very intentional about, you know, even um, normalizing therapy, for example, Mm -hmm. like how to find a good therapist, like just helping us to, uh, as a community to understand that we are whole people, that we are not mm-hmm. just, you know, spiritual or just intellectual or just emotional or just relational, that there's just the wholeness and the discipleship of the whole person. So I really appreciated that, you know, you were very, um, very intentional about, mm. you know, bringing in these things. And it will be something that people can turn to and look back on and, um, 
And I love the vision too of your conversations with Al to say, you know, at this point in time in the publishing world with the desire to hear more voices and to have more representation and especially in the underrepresented places what how does this book fit into it it's not a standalone book it's like there's intention before during and after that we would be able to see and hear more of the stories and so i just love that that heart posture that you have all um presented and we hope that like you know we're pretty intentional to say this is where we're at now you know the nature of race changes society Mm -hmm. changes you know every generation of believers has had to navigate what does it look like to follow jesus from our context you know through mm-hmm, the centuries mm-hmm. and this is our attempt for now and we hope other people write more you know yeah definitely definitely um La, i would love to hear like when you talk about your journey you know really kind of growing up very in a very intact Hmong community and then going to college and kind of having your experience expanded through being with other Asian Americans and then that feeling mm-hmm. um, feeling seen and then feeling not seen and that dynamic and then uh, leading out even to have a Hmong conference. Are there things that you do intentionally to be able to hold in tension those differing experiences? I mean, I think it was real helpful to, to name them mm. um, and to talk about about them mm-hmm. um because i think there were you know like when there were times when i felt like i did feel like i fit into the asian american community and then there are times where i just it brought a lot of dissonance to me and and then there are moments where i was like do i even like asian americans <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> like is there something i need to like reconcile with asian americans you know um and i i don't know like Sabrina, you and i have talked about just growing up being the asian americans who didn't grow up around other asian americans like uh, around large Asian American communities and how that can be a very different experience. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's like two Asian Americans and we understand Asian Americans, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I, it was helpful to talk about that and to find other people who felt similar ways to, or even to help each other name those things. Cause we, we would feel bad, you know, like mm. why didn't we, like Asian Americans or why wouldn't we like them? Yeah. So like sometimes I, I, you know, I felt bad. Um, like my university staff in college was uh, really good at naming some of those things mm-hmm. before I knew how to name those mm-hmm. um, because he would observe that mm-hmm. within our community. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe. And then as I continue to just, you know, be more aware, I w- was able to recognize those kind of experiences that I was having. Um, but yeah, it was helpful to name it and then to talk about it more and then discovering that I wasn't alone mm-hmm. and others felt the same way. And um, and I'm glad that, that, um, that Asian Americans as a collective is becoming more, more aware of just how diverse we are and um, and how how good it is for us to to learn about our different experiences. Mm-hmm. In 2020, um, two other Hmong women and I, we started a podcast called Better Than Seven Sons um, that we do, where we just talk about our experiences as Hmong women, mm-hmm. as Hmong Christian women. Um, because sometimes as as Hmong women in ministry, like we were all doing ministry and, um, you know, in the Hmong church, like Hmong women doing ministry just wasn't, 
very like encouraged mm-hmm. um and it was nice to talk about it together and then talk about our experiences and as Hmong leader Hmong women leaders mm-hmm. and sometimes feeling like we weren't sure <laughs> if um I think we didn't always feel like we belonged in the Hmong church because we were doing so much ministry and leadership um, that was outside of the Hmong church. Like we weren't leading in the Hmong church at all. And um, we didn't know like, are you know, is it, is the Hmong church, do we perceive it as the safe space for us to be in or not? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think people have shown support in various ways um, in the Hmong church, but we, you know, we still, you know, after being in ministry for like 10 ish years, you know, we're, st- we're still unsure, like, mm-hmm. is it a safe space or not? But um, it was really nice to just create a space in the world out there just for us mm-hmm. to just talk and express ourselves freely um, and openly um, about various topics um, that we, that were, you know, related to being among, among American women. And it was, it was really good. It was, it was just really good to just talk about it and, have people listen to us and <laughs> yeah um and feel encouraged by it too like we've you know we've heard from other Hmong women who really enjoy the podcast and um felt seen and heard from it too so mm. um so yeah I, you know back to your initial question it, it was really about like naming it mm-hmm. like specifically where it is telling our stories mm-hmm. talking about it more and not not feeling like we've talked about it too much mm-hmm. um um, I think we recognize that, oh, we need to talk about a lot of these a lot of these things more still, even though it seems like we talk about it all the time. But um, uh, there's still so many people out there who just don't haven't found that their own space where they could do that. So um, yeah, part of having the podcast was to provide that space for others as well. I love that. Well, we'll definitely link up the podcast and um, all the places in the show notes as well. But it's better <laughs> than seven sons. Is that correct? The name of it? Yeah. Better than seven. That's a great name, mm-hmm. by the way. Wow. <laughs> that gave me goosebumps <laughs> when I first heard it. was like, woo, fire. <laughs> this is so good. Oh, well, speaking of um, ways for people, how can people find you in the places and uh, continue to learn from you and um, as you continue to lead out in these different ways? Um, I'm probably most active on Instagram. So my handle is Sabrina Chan Writes. Uh, mm. Sabrina Chan, W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and on Facebook too, I I'm, dabble a little on Twitter, but not not a lot. Yeah, same with me. I'm most active on Instagram. Um, I'm Latao, L-A-G-T-H-A-O. That's my, uh, the Hmong way spelling my name on Instagram. And and then, yeah, you can check out the podcast, Better Than Seven Sons Podcast. And we're, we're pulling together a webpage for the book. We hope to use that more. Um, hopefully by the time this podcast releases, we'll have some content there. But that's just learningournames.com learningournames.com. That's fantastic. Well, everyone pick up a copy of this very important book. I think for non-Asians, this is going to be so insightful, full of great insight and history. And obviously for everyone in the API community, let's cheer our sisters and brothers on in their very great work. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, you two. Really, really grateful for the time. Thanks, Vivian. Yeah, thanks so much. Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. 
Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden. And the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Somedays Here community, check us out on the socials at Somedays Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. 